Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. The fact that there's a pop-up every time that happens is really annoying. You know what you should do if you're listening? You should go to Spotify and give us five stars because that seems to be the go-to platform <laughs> right now. And we need to chase Melbourne strength culture. We need to chase them up the ladder. Do we? Or do we just hang our hat on the fact that this episode will probably push us over 200,000 total downloads and we'll just play the old man longevity salty old cunt we've been around longer than you card? I think that one's a pretty good one to play too. I don't don't see why we can't have both. Well, yeah, we can. That's the great thing about the internet. We can be both salty and friends with these people. It's great. Anyway, a rising (laughs) something floats all something, so just go hit five stars and we love you too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cuban works hard in February, but our friends at Manscaped are working harder than ever to ensure your Valentine's Day is one to remember. Don't turn this day of romance into Independence Day this year and get in control with their Performance Package 4.0, which includes their signature Lawnmower 4.0. This February, join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK for 20% off and free shipping. Contrary to popular belief, love is not blind when you can't see past the love jungle now correct me if i'm wrong but confucius says education breeds confidence so it's time to get educated on the ultimate grooming routine for all your areas of romance this year remember you can't buy love but you can buy a clean pair of balls Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK. Help tame your love jungle in your pants. I misread that. Help tame that love jungle you have in your pants with Manscaped. No, make it personal. Your love jungle. Yeah, well, you know. That's ridiculous. Uh, it is. I couldn't look at you the whole time. I had to look down because <laughs> I was going to lose myself. Uh, We're also conveniently sponsored by our good friends at Prism Coffee Company. They are purveyors of fine, delicious coffee that I seem to be burning through at a rate that greatly exceeds their ability to top me up. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I have to keep having to buy Prism Coffee, which is very frustrating because... I don't even use the code because I know that if I order it, then it'll just arrive at the same time as the stuff they normally send me. I buy it from the actual shop like some sort of pleb. That's Whoa. how much I enjoy this coffee. 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 Fuck. All but right. if someone is to buy the coffee online and use a code. Get a sick discount. What code are they going to use, John Cherry? I'm pretty sure it's PeakSpeak at prismcoffee.com.au. And mm. I believe it's 20% off there too. Don't think um, you get free shipping, so that's on you. Amazing. Well, it's a public holiday and I thought no one was going to be in the gym. So I went against all my codes of massive self-consciousness and wore a singlet uh, and the gym was packed 
and I became center of tension and I feel extremely embarrassed and taxed and sad. So that's going to be me for this podcast episode. <laughs> Excellent. I love that. I, I have recently, I have recently reclaimed this, this summer I have made a conscious effort to reclaim wearing a singlet that is actually mostly my singlets are old training shirts that are too smelly to wear anymore but i am unwilling to give up yet so i just cut the armpits and sleeves out of them absolutely they get that perma stink yeah it's fucking gross um and there's a certain point where they just need to be retired uh and that's where their retirement lives in massacring with a pair of scissors uh yeah, no, I, for a very, very long time, I suspect in a very similar way to you, had the most horrific t-shirt tan you've ever seen because as a fat kid growing up in, yeah, uh, as a fat kid growing up in primary school, I just never took my shirt off. It was always in a t-shirt or a you know, rash vest at the beach. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, now I've like actually got tan lines that extend beyond the bottom of my bicep. It's odd. Amazing. I I'm happy to wear a singlet at like five in the morning when I walk my dog. That's the only time. Uh, and I've tried in the last six months to do it occasionally at the gym, and I just I can't do it. It's not it's not in me yet. One day, but not yet. Yeah, I um I found myself uh, when we were camping uh, just after New Year's. It was fucking hot, and I like found myself without a shirt on at one point because I'd taken my like rashy off. And then like all of a sudden was like, oh, I'm just not wearing a shirt. Cause I'm so used to being like one shirt comes off and I put another shirt on. Like I spent all this time without a shirt on. I was like, oh, this is still like the whole time. It's still really weird in my head to be walking around without a shirt on and not just be like, oh, I should probably just put a shirt on. Mm. It's yeah. Body image is a, a weird thing. Very weird. I didn't Very realize weird. quite how much of my identity was wrapped up in the second X in my clothes sizes until I had to actually buy XL instead mm. of XXL. Yeah. Still a weird shift. You know what else is weird? Fucking powerlifting. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a that's a quality segue. That's the segues we come for, folks. Better than last time. Yeah. USAPL Australia. Yeah. Thoughts, Without questions, Tasmania, comments, though. suggestions. Uh, seem to have committed to the idea that Tasmania is well and truly owned by the WRPF, and you know that's okay. But cutting a whole state out of the logo seems a little odd. I'm going full conspiracy theorist, and I'm just going to call people out because I don't give a fuck anymore. So my suspicion, because a lot of people are asking me, who's doing this? Why would I know? I'm not involved with it. I have nothing to do with it. My suspicion, I think there are a few people, if you go to who is following or who is being followed by USAPL Australia, there are a few key players in there. There is one culture of strength people in Australia (laughs) (laughs) who spoke about USAPL Australia surprisingly before it was formally announced. And there is a certain person that they're following who happens to be involved with that strength culture. So I'm I'm just throwing some stuff out there. Let's see what happens over time. This is all in jest, of course, like because it's not it's not controversial or anything like that. So don't, don't think I'm trying to stoke any fires. Uh, but that's that's where my hey. guess is when people ask me. So this is my public aren't, way of answering that question. Aren't flame wars and general beef actually the best thing we can all do for uh, 
clicks, likes, and shares. So maybe we should just start some sort of podcast beef. Yeah, maybe. Real or imagined. Yeah, look, I um, I saw it because I got sent it by someone. And all I did was laugh. Like, A, calling an international powerlifting federation the USAPL is just really fucking stupid. <laughs> like, just... Start a new world, buddy. <laughs> mm. that, that's the thing that surprises me is that like the affiliates are now going to be USA. Yeah, like, I'm surprised they didn't they didn't change something to just be like. Yeah, it wouldn't have been that complex to just set up a new entity that is the um, WPL World Powerlifting League. Then you can yeah. have USAPL. Then you have yeah, and not, not uh, APL. Like, that's taken. Yeah, you've got to come up with a new acronym. Uh, yeah, look, I think it's a bit odd. I don't think the powerlifting world in Australia needs another fucking federation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've got enough federations that... Some of which do an okay job. Some of them don't. Um, but adding more federations to the mix just further dilutes an already very diluted pot in a way that just seems counterproductive across the board, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Like, so I, don't know, I think a lot of people would say that, um, especially in the last couple of years before it's gotten bigger and bigger, the APL was a little bit of one of these, you know, new entries. Why are you doing this kind of thing? My states that we put up the entry form of um, when last Monday or this Monday, I don't know. Very recently, sold out within a couple of days, 120 spots, and most of them are not like people who are well established in the powerlifting world. The majority are, are relatively new lifters, and so. Yeah. Um, you know, ha- having being being um, r- running these meets for an, a fed that was once considered one of the more obscure ones and is now sort of getting close to sitting up there as, as something more recognized. Uh, we have actually facilitated growth in in a population of people who previously we didn't we didn't know existed. Mm. And so it's a, I mean it's always going to be a question of would that growth have happened within the established federations anyway, or has this provided another outlet? And I guess. Um, you know, there is a lot of negative to further diluting it in an already very diluted uh, sport. And, you know, compare Australia to America, the number of lifters here is far, 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 far less. Uh, and so, like, it, it, it adds to that dilution. Um, but at the same time, I kind of, I try to remove the idea of federations and look at the people who are running competitions. So, like, let's say my hypothetical comes true and, um, you know, uh, the, the strength culture boys, switch from running formerly PA, then we're going to run APU. And let's say they go to run USAPL Australia comps. Their comps are going to be fucking awesome. Like mm. their comps are going to be mind blown because they run great comps. And so I, just, I, I try to really cling on to that stuff rather than looking at, you know, the bullshit federation politics. I look at this person runs great comps. All the lifters go there and have a great time. Um, I try and really keep it lifter centric and that helps me. <laughs> I don't know. I'm psychologizing myself now. That helps me get yeah. past the, the ridiculousness of more powerlifting federations. Look, and that's ultimately, I think, the thing is that in most instances, the people that compete in powerlifting competitions compete in the federation that's most convenient to them. Like, I think the the problem is the vocal minority who are like established in one federation want to put their hand up as identifying as that federation and hang shit on anyone else are really loud about it but actually that you know there's most of my gpc lifters just compete in gpc because we run gpc comps 
uh, I think you know the introduction of something like APL was really good in many ways because it offered something that no other Fed did, which is the options of sleeves or raw tested and untested right which is ultimately like that would be the way to run one federation we have one one national body that offers two different distinct divisions and that like that's how you solve all this bullshit um because i mean then you're just going to deal with all that infighting in one federation so at least it's all contained (laughs) um but that's what apl did really well is offer an alternative in that scenario and i think my concern with something like the USAPL is it, it's not anything different to what we already know. Like you said, if, say, Jamie and the boys end up running comps, sick, they're going to run great comps. It, mm. Like it, Ultimately, it matters more about who's running these comps because there's been talk of other federations running comps, you know, in and around Canberra. It's never eventuated because no one's in a position to run the comps that, that come anywhere near competing with what we do mm-hmm. exclusively because we've got a facility that's set up for it right mm-hmm. and so in the end i think the thing that happens with a lot of these federations is they end up relying on a few key individuals in different areas that build the reputation of that federation in that area through being able to host really good comps and that sort of thing because even the argument for like competitive on a world stage like that seems to not really fucking matter a for the vast majority of lifters anyway but having a world body is so less relevant now than it has been ever before Hmm. because like i don't know anyone who went to a worlds in the last three years Hmm. um like any australian that is so now it seems to be much more focused on okay well what's happening in australia and who's running the best comps in australia Hmm. And then it's not really that hard to see who's running the best comps. And I think ultimately the cream will rise to the top, but I think it's going to be more dependent on the individual meet directors and the way that gets built into the federation than it is on what the fucking acronym at the start of the federation name is. Mm. But just just to clarify for everyone as well, I have no fucking idea who's involved with the USAPL Australia. Like I was just throwing funny banter out before. So just, just before you go and message... Like Jamie yeah. and then because Thomas be like, is getting really Thomas nervous about the fact that yeah. about you guys, I actually have no fucking idea. I'm just I'll kidding. fight Jamie. I, he's really tall, but I <laughs> I forget how tall he is. But I'll fight him. Yeah, I'm you're confident. underestimating the fact that he's got a a, a um, conglomerate of Greeks underneath him. It's one phone call, thousand cousins, all the Chryslers rock up. You're <laughs> fucked, mate. You're done for. Um. Yeah, I yeah, I um it, the what you're saying about the world class thing is is interesting as well because in the IPF that is really like that is really a thing. Like if you're an IPF lifter, especially outside of Australia now that IPF is semi defunct. Um in the past if you were an IPF lifter, IPF Worlds is the pinnacle and the true champions go yep. in, in that federation go to that competition. Outside of the IPF it seems like the truly world-class lifters tend to gravitate towards just big invitational comps and most of them are yep. American, like Reebok Breakers or the Miami Meets or, yep. uh, sorry, the... Um, Showdown. Yeah, that or, yep. you know, pro roll locally in Australia, that kind of thing. That's People don't go to... I've been to GPC Worlds, GPA Worlds, uh, you know, all the other acronym worlds for the last almost 10 years and very rarely are there like... Yeah, they're the, almost always a bit shit. <laughs> the the top tier lifters are very rarely there. Yeah. And that's I think that's been the interesting evolution of powerlifting because uh 
the like for a while federations were the thing and there was like the worlds were like you think about you know the ed cohen era where worlds Mm -hmm. was worlds and it meant something Mm -hmm. and then in the dilution of powerlifting as a sport through the advent of all of these new federations across the world but a a lot of it was in the u.s what you ended up with was just a million world champions none of them mean anything and so we saw this shift towards big invitational meets being the draw card and these huge big lifters only going to compete for money at, at big money meets. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see whether over the next five or six years what that ends up doing is creating one Fed that just offers these big invitational things because it's almost like now the federations exclusively exist for the people in the middle. You mm-hmm. know, Like in Australia, you've got largely, you've got novice comps, like unaffiliated powerlifting competitions for the completely new then you've got federations for the middle and then the top tier guys and girls all go compete at pro roll mm-hmm. and invitationals like they you know the federations serve a purpose but it could just be all under one banner in a way that would just be way more effective mm. but yeah. the reality is that's never actually going to happen and so like as as most most people then fall into that category of being the the average lifter you know in in the middle um, or on that spectrum below elite or above novice, um, the cool thing about it is that you can ignore all this federation bullshit. Yeah, you, know, you, you just go. I f- wish I find could a place it like a lifter. Yeah, uh, find a place and a group of people who you vibe with. Go do their competitions, and you'll love powerlifting because powerlifting at its heart is fucking awesome. That's yep. you know, you hear people get all salty about it and complain about federations and stuff like that. John and I wouldn't continue to be involved in the sport if we didn't think it was awesome. And at this level, this local level, like the states that I'm going to run here will be next level. The comp that you're running up that I can't come to and eat brisket is going to be next level, right? It's they're, they're great competitions at a local level. And that's awesome for the average lifter yeah. because you guys get to go to these comps and just have a fucking blast. And that is what at its heart makes powerlifting so cool yeah exactly and increasingly that's the focus for me is just on being trying to be less involved in the bullshit and actually just focus on us running really good comps for my lifters and the lifters in my local area and then my lifters get to just pick and choose how they want to do things it's Mm. part of the reason we're going to run an apl comp this year just to offer another option that our lifters haven't had before and you know hasn't really been offered in Canberra before so having the options like that just gives our lifters more opportunities to compete where they want to compete because most of my lifters have no interest in traveling anywhere to compete other than here because most of them aren't at a level where traveling to a meet is something that's worth doing because Mm. this is just their hobby and they they just want to do it for fun so being able to do it in your own gym in the gym you train at all those sort of things makes life a lot easier for them but uh, yeah, I think it's it's just I, I'm tired of the bullshit that comes with powerlifting. I still love powerlifting, but it's the, all that extra bullshit that sometimes makes me just a bit salty about the whole situation because mm-hmm. it's just so fucking easy to just ignore most of it and be like, hey, let's all just lift some fucking weights. But mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, a lot of egos. Snooze <laughs> next. Uh, yeah, so on the on the topic of competing in competitions, I've had this com- conversation a couple of times over the last few weeks because, as you mentioned, we've got a novice comp in two weeks, a bit under two weeks, mm-hmm. uh, first weekend in Feb uh, that's already sold out, which is awesome. Uh, we're going to have to run it as two sessions, which is a pain in the ass, but 
it's just easier than having a hundred plus people in the gym at any one time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've had a conversation with a handful of my guys and girls who were intending to do the meet and like a couple of them have like had to go into isolation for seven days. A couple of them got the vid, you know, there are, yeah. Uh, so I've had a conversation with a lot of these people around the value of competitions that aren't solely focused on the outcome of hitting more PBs. Because I think this is something that gets missed by a lot of people, especially early in their powerlifting career. And the result is you get very strong lifters who fucking suck at the skill of competing. And you see this at, at nationals, at things like that, where you get a bunch of very, very strong people who don't have enough comp experience and get beaten by people who just have good comp experience and make smart choices and those sort of things. So I wanted to talk with you uh, about the conversations I've had around the value of competing without a focus on hitting PBs and consequently then without like a full intense peaking cycle and and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much value to it and it, it, it exists right along the spectrum of experience as well. Like, you know, you look at the more novice lifters, there's a lot of value in doing more frequent competition because it creates more buy-in, it creates more attachment to the sport. uh, It creates a little bit more of a, um, uh, you know, a a milestone-based process. It helps fast track your experience. It helps you learn a bunch of lessons. And then at the more elite level, normally you have to do some competitions to qualify and to, to get to where you need to go. Um, and uh, it's a good skill to be able to train through a competition and not look at it as an opportunity to go hard, but look at it as an opportunity as a stepping stone towards that. And yep. in the process, the more elite lifters are then competing less, you know, one serious comp a year maybe, um, and doing them a little bit more frequently than that without the objective of going as hard as you can helps you know keep the experience there helps keep that skill that you're talking about there um, i feel like eventually you hit an experience level where you don't need the skill as much at all to compete you can rock up to any com- competition and just compete like i feel like you've done enough competitions to yeah. go to one of your comps and have no pressure on yourself whatsoever yeah. you might get a, like a couple of little butterflies but you're like oh i have, haven't had this feeling for a while and you know yeah, what to yeah. do with it yeah for um, sure. I, I definitely think there's a threshold that you cross eventually but it doesn't come for a long time and no um, so yeah i think the, the idea of having competitions set for the purpose of just going and doing them not necessarily as peaking as hard as you can maxing out has a lot of value to most lifters across the spectrum has a lot of value not just in the competition standpoint but also uh, how it then influences your training as well man i think there's there's so many real benefits that i think we can sort of go through and unpack a little bit more specifically uh, as we go through but i think one of the reasons we end up having to have this competition discussion is that the nature of powerlifting especially early in the piece like the first couple of years you're competing, you can compete three or four times a year and like stack weight onto your total pretty consistently in every single one of those competitions. And so you get into this cycle of expecting, like a competition is about hitting PBs or at the very least attempting PBs. Mm. And then you get to that two or three year mark, you've done a handful of comps, 
progress starts to slow down a little bit and so then suddenly you're in this headspace where the discussion exists exclusively around well i'm not ready to compete because i'm not ready to hit prs like i'm Mm. not strong enough to hit prs so i'm gonna wait and i think in a lot of people that actually ends up being their long-term undoing because it's actually the very nature of like competing regularly, being able to see where you're at and take the lessons you learn in terms of your training outcomes from the competition environment. But also the other thing that ends up happening is, as I said before, there's really, really strong lifters who are still novice to intermediate at best in terms of their competition skill get to a point where they've then been eight or nine months or even in some cases a couple of years like we have had over the last few years where you end up with someone who should be a somewhat seasoned competitor at this point just like making really rookie mistakes and missing aspects of the competition that they just shouldn't you know because they're out of practice they're out of practice of the skill of competing and i think like you said there's definitely a threshold for like i just i don't need that skill anymore like i do a comp i'm still going to get really nervous the night before but I'm I'm not upset about that. Like I, that's how I know I'm ready because mm. that's like I'm a competitor and I know that those nerves mean I'm ready to go on on the competition day. But the the actual skill aspect of competing I have down pat. Uh, but yeah, I think if we can reframe this discussion early on, and it's this is a discussion I continually have with a lot of my novice level lifters, and have certainly in, seen the increase in this discussion over the last. 18 months or so because everyone's preps have been so up and down and all over the place so i think uh yeah maybe we go through and talk a little bit more about the specific aspects of what you can get out of this reframing of the discussion to um to unpack that a little bit yeah i think the first thing to to recognize as a lifter is that so much of the pressure that you feel to perform on com day is self-imposed in fact yes all of it all (laughs) it's self-imposed um and i think especially as you cross intermediate and head towards advanced, you really start to think that there's an expectation for you to perform. You think that yeah. people are watching you. You think that people are going to be like, the fuck, this person squatted 320 last comp and now they're only putting 290 on the bar? Or they've gone backwards. You know, you, you create these stories in your head and it can be really, really, really self-limiting and then influence what you then do in training to try and push to whatever level you feel like you need to be at, which can derail your training progress for what's to come in the future um so i think really the step one is recognizing that any pressure to perform on comp day is very much self-imposed mm. um, and then once you realize that very few people are watching you you can go introspective and be like all that really matters is my progress and what i'm going to do and i know i'm only using this competition as a stepping yes. stone so what i do it doesn't actually matter that much what i do at this next competition that's where it counts and i'm using this competition as a way as a means of making sure that when i go to that next one i'm going to fucking kill it yeah and and not going to make the little mistakes that ruin a really big competition mm. right because that's the thing i've seen happen more than i would like to admit is people who are at exactly that point you're talking about where they feel like that expectation's on them so they're training for nationals and then they go to nationals and shit the bed by missing a command on a second attempt or you know something gets thrown like some spanner ends up in the in the works that throws the plan out of whack and suddenly your big comp for the year becomes this really disappointing experience that then Mm. is going to have a carry-on effect to your ability then to train hard for the next one because we all know that like 
I tend to exist on a spectrum of either I had a great comp and so I can't be fucked training for the next one because I'm just satisfied or I had a really shit comp and I'm back in the gym the next day because I'm fucking pissed off. <laughs> and I have to, they're my two responses. There's nothing in between. They're, they're the two responses I get out of it. But I think um, coming out of the back end of an experience where you've had six months of training in the lead up to a big competition and then having some tiny little technical error put this big catastrophe at the end of what could have been a very productive training cycle becomes really disheartening. And it's then you people like you and I having this conversation with our athletes about, hey, look at all this excellent progress you made in the training cycle, but you fucked it up on the day and you know shit happens, right? That's all well and good and easy to say from our perspective. But if the solution to that is just doing a meet that you're not ready for that isn't about that it's just about reminding yourself not to shit the bed at nationals well then that's it's you know prevention's better than a cure right for sure and um you know your your thinking brain is very good at confirming for you what your feeling brain says and so like you can you can go into a situation and think that you are headstrong and it only takes one little one little uh glitch in your psychological matrix to completely get in your head and fuck up your day and if that glitch is i haven't competed for a while like your your thinking brain will go into overdrive confirming that you haven't competed you don't have the skill you're going to miss the calls remember your calls you're going to start overthinking everything and you might have the skill and the strength on the day to do it, but you can't do it just because you've gone into brain overdrive. The trick is to get over these little psychological hurdles is to be able to be like, you haven't competed in a while. Oh, actually, yes, I did. Competed three months ago. That thought, now gone. And you can tick that off with so many little things. Oh, you're going to miss the calls. Oh, actually, we did that in training. Like This is how it influences training as well because you have to think about these things in advance. And by doing, you know, having that competition experience, doing a comp here and there, it really overrides all the things that make lifting in the gym so different to yes. lifting in a comp. Like, yeah, you could do a mock comp in the gym. Go for it. It's not the same. No. It's just not the same, especially if it's in your gym, on your equipment, uh, with the same people around you every time, facing the same way, listening to the same music. It's not the same. It, there's so much value to to breaking that cycle and to... to doing these little meets here and there um necessity or otherwise like even if it's just for the skill um to 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 cycle back around to you know the more intermediate lifters there is value in doing competitions more frequently for that skill the difference between you know the novice to intermediates and the experience i think the experience are good at recognizing well this comp doesn't matter that much Yes. The, the training matters more. The intermediates tend to not be like that. They tend to be like, I got a peak, I got a peak, I got a peak. And then they get stuck in that intermediate no man's land where they're forever peaking and never getting any stronger. Yes. Hitting the same numbers or within a couple of kilos every single meet. It's okay to do more frequent competitions, yes, but you have to really pick and choose which ones are going to be big competitions and which mm-hmm. ones are going to be practice comps. Yeah, and that idea of like a tune-up meet is the one that I really like. Like I've had this discussion with a few people for this year who are like aiming for states and a few of them it's like they haven't done a sanctioned comp in a while or this is their first sanctioned comp. And I said, well, let's just do the novice comp as a little tune-up, remind you what it's like, get some of those nerves out of the way, get some of those really rookie mistakes out of the way. But the same thing goes for a, a more advanced lifter who... You know, and this is especially relevant if you're like uh, 
already qualified for something like nationals, right? Like we've got a couple of lifters who it is unlikely they're going to get knocked out of the GPC qualifying over the next few months. So we don't have to go as hard for states. And that's the opportunity to actually like play with variables in training in a way that you probably don't want to do for a bigger competition. So if you are going to do a more substantial peak for one of these like tune-up comps, being able to experiment a little bit with your training variables in a way that allows you to find out new information can be really useful as well. I think that that's where that tune-up comp can be good. You can play with warm-up strategies on the day. You can play with bigger jumps in your attempt selection. You can play with all of these different variables that most of us just have this sort of fairly set in stone idea of what works for us. But I think there's still a lot of value in being able to question what works for you and try new things in an environment where there is no pressure. Hmm. Trying a new warm-up strategy at nationals <laughs> is probably not the smartest thing you've ever done. <laughs> but trying it at a local meet where there's no pressure because you've already qualified or even if you fuck it up, you know you'll qualify on your second attempts, then hmm. fuck yeah, go nuts. Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think another thing that comes with it is... Um, fuck, what was I going to say? Oh, I had a really good point there for a second. We were talking about uh, changing things, experimenting with variables. Oh, what I was going to say, um, I I throw I've thrown it out on this podcast a bunch of times. I say it to a lot of people a bunch of times. I I have this arbitrary figure, which is like, if you are if you are shooting within ninety percent of what your previous one rep max was, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. And the reason I've arrived at that figure is that in my experience in taking lifters through comps where we haven't actually peaked with no training whatsoever like no peaking practice no training whatsoever going into a comp and um hitting numbers just you know on the day just sort of picking a good opener and just jumping up and seeing where we end up typically people fall within 90 to 95 percent of their previous one rep max with no peaking no training for it whatsoever that's where i sort of come up with that um with that figure and i think one thing that comes from doing these like one sort of um byproduct benefit that comes from doing these tune-up meets is it shows you how with no training for peaking no strength training leading up to it let's say you're in the middle of the de- a development block or a conditioning block and you do one of these tune-up meets it shows you that your strength doesn't really go anywhere yes like you're always kind of within striking range of being really good again even if you're pretty far removed from that like we we talk about oh yeah if you test your maxes while you're in a hypertrophy phase you're going to be disappointed of course because you're testing your maxes if you've got no emotional attachment to what you're trying to achieve on the day besides doing some singles you're not testing you're just doing some singles you're like oh that's actually pretty good you know yeah um it, it it's a good exercise mentally to showcase to people your strength doesn't disappear yeah because i think that's the thing that as a coach you've got to be mindful of is it's really easy to say things like this to your clients or or your lifters things like your your strength doesn't go anywhere this is why we're doing it you can explain all of the logic to them in the end but the thing you said earlier about buy-in i think is really relevant too from a coach's perspective like convincing your clients to compete more regularly what by having this discussion about how you frame the word competition and what that means can be incredibly useful at getting on top of the people who are constantly itching to go heavier and do all those things because you give them that opportunity in a really controlled environment. Mm. Like generally when I go into something like this with a lifter, I say, cool, 
like you, like here's an opener, here's a second attempt. We'll kind of call the third on the day, but especially if it's like, oh, we're doing this three months out from the next meet, you know, maybe your third attempt's going to be what we're aiming for a second attempt at your big meet or or somewhere around there, right? So it's just, it's it really is just a tune-up process, but being able to point to these sort of things and say like, hey, I told you so. <laughs> it's, as much as I, I would probably avoid using those exact words, I'm a fan of a, like a raised eyebrow and a shoulder shrug. Like, what did you think? Uh, like, uh, you know, uh, you can do it with body language alone. But I think there's a lot of value in being able to help your clients learn these lessons for themselves. Because I think that's sometimes what I've seen coaches do poorly is say all of the right things, mean all of the right things, give them all of the right information, but never provide the link that makes that information anything other than an esoteric understanding of a concept for someone. Mm. When you can prove it to them by saying, look, all we did was do one session of singles seven days out just so you don't forget how to do singles because you've been doing eights all this (laughs) training cycle and to like give us a rough idea for openers and then you competed and you hit 90% of your best and you went, you know, in most cases, you'll have gone nine for nine, had a really good day and come out of it, ideally feeling really good and building confidence into what's coming. I think, mm. yeah, as a coach, it's really important to see the value in that from a buy-in standpoint, from a, a uh, you know, a data analysis standpoint. You're giving them another reference point for something that is, for us, really easy to understand because I know how this cycle works. I've done this with hundreds of people and... Mm. So I am confident in telling you these things, but sometimes you just got to show them. For sure. Well, one, because uh, I don't have a lot more to say on the subject, but one one final really good byproduct of, of this practice, especially for the lifters that tend to get destroyed by nerves and adrenaline on the day, going into a comp where they know that there's no pressure teaches them how to, I guess, um, remove some of that self-imposed pressure, go into a comp uh, in a more relaxed manner and show them that they can perform in a relaxed manner. Yeah. You know, Maybe not you don't do need a then- gram of caffeine before <laughs> you compete. Just uh, come close to what you know you can do. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be the cure-all, but it's, it's a step in that direction no, of exactly. controlling nerves. You know, it, it's like you were just saying, it shows you what can happen. And it, the more that you experience that for yourself, the more you can sort of... Um, hone in on the things that helped you experience that and, and maybe start to put it into practice. Yeah, for sure. I think that's great. And like you, I don't really have much else to say. I think that covers everything I wanted to talk about. Amazing. Thanks for listening. Give us five stars. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>